love the church, don't you? Amen. Church is a wonderful place. Uh, one of the things I love about her is the simplicity of the church. Sometimes we make it so complex, but it's a very simple place. We're very simple people. Even this morning, we uh, have uh, sang together with some simple words. The song she just sang to us had a very simple truth, but a very profound truth with very simple words. And uh, those of us that are here this morning, we're simple people, but we have a great Savior. I love the church, and I'm so grateful that the Lord uh, founded the church for Himself and His glory, but for us too. Some of the... uh, not only the best times, but the funnest times that I've ever had have been uh, in the church. Not only in this church, but also in other churches as well. You may know this, and you may not know this, but when you stand here, uh, I see things that you don't see. Because, obviously, it's elevated a little bit more. And most of those things are funny. Charles Spurgeon was uh, a tremendous preacher, one of the greatest preachers that's ever lived. I love to read after him. Just uh, what, a, what a great writer. He wrote in uh, a lot of, of symbolism, but not complicated. Just, he was, you, you hate to say this about a man, but he just wrote with such beauty and prose, but he just spoke right to your heart. And uh, he was a funny preacher. He wasn't a jokester, but he was a funny man. And he was once he preached in London, England, and one time someone criticized him for his humor. And they said, you, you just make the pulpit a, a place that is humorous. That shouldn't be. And he said, well, you would praise me if you knew what I didn't say. And I like that. I, I think that's about where I am sometimes, that people would, would be excited if they knew what I didn't say. One of the things that I see here on a regular basis are are people that fulfill the Scriptures, not just have open ears and paying attention and open the Bibles, but they fulfill God's Word in Genesis chapter 4. I don't want you to turn there. In fact, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to start there, 1 Thessalonians 5. But they fulfill a line in Genesis chapter 4. When it says about a man, specifically Cain, that he dwelt in the land of Nod. And a lot of people come to church and uh, they're very good at it. They, they dwell in the land of Nod. And they just, some of you are very good at it and very consistent at it. And uh, it's, it's just, it's really fun. Now, if you're a young preacher, it bothers you a little bit because you take it personal. But after you've preached for a while and, and you've sat in some services and you've dwelled in the land of Nod, you don't take it personal. So if you say, well, well he's talking about me, I'm not, unless you're gifted at it, then I may be talking to you. But when I first came to pastor the church here, we had a, a couple that came every Sunday morning. They never miss. And they sat on the back row. And you remember before you renovated the auditorium. Uh, when the pews were in here, the back row was against the wall. You remember that? And the back wall was perfectly suited 
for you to put your head against and to dwell in the land of Nod. It was just perfect. Maybe some of you know that. But um, the lady that came, the wife, she was very attentive and played att- uh, uh, paid attention well. But her husband, my, my friend, he, every Sunday, after about 10 minutes in the sermon, I, I suppose because he wanted to obey the injunction there in Genesis chapter 4, he, he got into the land of Nod. And it wasn't like a, a little thing. He got into the rapid eye movement level of the land of Nod. And so at first, because it was early in my ministry, like I said, it was a little bit detracting. I thought, well, is he bothering people? But then I realized he wasn't nodding at all. His, his, he was just resting back there. And I knew that he was, he was deep asleep because I'm not exaggerating. Every word I'm telling you is true. Paula used to fuss at me when I said that. She said, it's really not good when you get up to preach. You say, now I'm telling you the truth because you're contrasting with everything else you said. But some things I, I say I have to tell you because you don't believe them. And so this is, I'm not, anything I tell you is funny, but it's, it's absolutely true. And he would put his head back there and he would, he would go to sleep so deep his mouth would open just every Sunday. And he would just sleep the whole service, well, the whole sermon. I mean, he, he would participate. I guess we had to stand up some. So he'd get a good nap in, and then at the last amen, he was, he was on his way, and he was happy, and he enjoyed it. Well, that's, that's a humorous thing, and some of you uh, are already in the land of Nod. But I want to talk to you uh, just briefly about something that's not humorous at all, and that's not physical sleep, it's spiritual sleep. There is a lethargy spiritually where a person is unaware of their condition and the lateness of the hour. They're just spiritually asleep. As it were, they're in the land of Nod spiritually. They have no consciousness of their environment. They have no discernment of how things are. And God says to us, He says, I want you to wake up. This is crucial. You need to wake up. I ask you to turn to 1 Thessalonians 5. Would you look there with me? 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Notice in verse 1. I'm not going to comment on all of the verses here because uh, I've got some other things I want to give you. But 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Look at verse 1. And uh, the Bible says, But of the times and seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. Now, he'd just been talking to them, in fact, the verses before in chapter 4 about the rapture. So he's talking about that. He says, now, I don't need to tell you the times and seasons when this is going to happen about the rapture. Verse 2, for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. We'll come back to that, not this in this passage, but another passage in a moment. Now, when the Bible talks about the day of the Lord, uh, it, it involves several things. The day of the Lord talks about God's judgment on the earth. And that encompasses a number of things. It's not just one event. It can refer to the rapture. It can refer to the tribulation. It can refer to the second coming of the Lord when His feet touch 
the Mount of Olives and we return with him. But it's talking about God's judgment when he initiates judgment on the earth during the tribulation period. The day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. And that's the principle. When God returns, he comes as a thief in the night. For when they shall say, this is the people on the earth, they're spiritually asleep or... Not only Christians, but lost people are. For they shall say, watch this, peace and safety. Then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child. And they shall not escape. But ye brethren, so he talks to the Christians here, shall not, I'm sorry, ye brethren are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. You're all the children of light. So here's the contrast. You have the, the light of Christ in you. You've trusted in the light of the gospel. You're transformed. And the children of the day, you're different. We are not of the night, but of the darkness. Nor, I'm sorry, we are not of the day, nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others. There it is. Don't you Christians that are of the day, you're not of the night, I want you to wake up. Let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. Let us watch, be attentive, and be sober. Don't be lethargic. Be serious about this, about the coming of Christ because of, of what all it involves. For they that sleep, sleep in the night. They that be drunken, are drunken in the night. These are people that, that have no awareness of their surroundings or what they're doing. They're asleep or they're drunk. They're not in control of themselves. They, they have no idea what's happening. And then he summarizes here in verse 8, But let us who are of the day, God's people, here it is again, be sober. Don't be indifferent to this, to spiritual matters. Putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet, the hope of salvation. Now, if you know your Bible, those are terms from Ephesians chapter 6 when he talks about spiritual warfare. I want you to put these, these pieces of, of your warfare on to get ready for battle because you're in a war. And that's what he's saying here. I want you to get dressed for battle because you're in a warfare. So you need to get dressed for this because you're going to fight in a spiritual battle. You need to be attentive. Satan, like a roaring lion, is walking, seeking whom he may devour. And you need to be attentive. You're, you're in a, a warfare. Wake up. And then a similar text in Romans chapter 13, verse 11. The Bible says, And that knowing the time, that now it is high time. I don't think we talk like that anymore. Most of you that are older like me, you had mom and dad or grandpa grandma, you say that, remember now, son, it's high time you fill in the blank. Remember that? Now, it's high time you get in here. Maybe they told you to do something. But when they said high time, you, you better listen to them. And that knowing the time, we, we know the time is coming when Christ is going to come. That now, right now, presently, it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now, right now. Is our salvation, he's talking about ultimate redemption, when our bodies are completely transformed, we meet Jesus. 
For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The idea of first believed, when we first trusted in Christ as Savior. Now, when a person is indifferent, they're not going to be prepared. And, th- and that's what a person that is asleep, they, they're not ready for things. When a person gets out of bed, their, their hair is frumpy, their clothes are frumpy, and they're gonna, you're not going to meet somebody that's in a serious meeting uh, because of the way you look. Because you, you want to get prepared for that meeting because it's important. You wake up in the middle of the night. You're not going to. Ha- you're not thinking clearly. You don't. You're not looking presentable. We need to wake up, and we're not ready to meet the Lord. We need to watch. We need to be sober. That idea is given to us in Mark chapter thirteen, verses thirty-four to thirty-seven. For the Son of Man is as a man. Here's the comparison: taking a far journey, who left his house. So they didn't have trains and planes and so forth. So he, he went on a long journey. That means he'll be gone perhaps for a year, maybe a couple of years. So he left his house and he gave authority. He delegated authority to his servants. And to every man his work, every man had a task. And he commanded the porter to watch. Now the porter was the guy, one guy, the one servant that was in charge of the door. And his whole responsibility was to watch for the owner. For all of those weeks and months and days and years, morning, night, midnight, wee hours of the morning, he had his post was by that door. So when the owner was there, he was to get up and open the door and greet him. And I want you to notice the last word there in verse 34. His job was to watch. Watch for the owner. By the way, the other folks were to be sober and they were to be prepared and do their jobs well. You need to watch. Pay attention. Wake up. Because I'm coming back. Verse 35. Watch ye therefore. Now back to back, he's just the same word. Watch. Verse 34. The last word is watch. The first word in verse 35 is watch. Watch ye therefore, for ye know not... Notice that line, you know not when the master of the house cometh at evening, at midnight, at the cock crowing, or in the morning. You don't know when he's coming. In the wee hours, early, early in the morning, in the late morning, in the afternoon. You don't know when he's coming, so you've got to watch. There needs to be a sobriety about it. I read a scripture a couple of weeks ago at Second Peter 3 where people will mock us sometimes. About all oh, you've been saying he's coming. Where's the promise of his coming? And uh, people that are lost and scoffers and skeptics, they begin to mock us. And he is coming. And we need to be sober about that and not let the spirit of the world influence us and affect us because Christ is coming. Verse 36, let's coming suddenly he finds you sleeping. And that's what I want to hit here at the first part of this message is, is some of you are sleeping spiritually. If I could put it this way, you're in the land of Nod. You've got your head laid back with your mouth open. You have no idea what someone is saying to you, what God is saying to you. And there's a lack of sobriety. There's a lack of attention. There's an indifference. You're just spiritually asleep. Physically, you're not. You're, you're making money. You're going up. You're busy. Uh, 
But you have no clue what's going around you spiritually. And then in verse 37, he sums it up. And what I say to you, I say unto all, watch. Now, three times there in four verses, he says, watch, watch, watch. Now, you get the idea of what God wants us to do is to be prepared, come out of spiritual slumber, and we need to be sober, and we need to watch. Do you have a, a spirit of indifference this morning? Are you spiritually asleep? You know, if, if you're sleeping spiritually, that you're not going to witness to people. That your mama and daddy may go to hell because of your spiritual indifference. That your brother and sister may go to hell. That your children may go to hell because of your spiritual indifference. That your children that you bring to church with you. But because of your spiritual indifference, the way you live at home, that there's, there's no impact because you're not watching. There's not a sobriety about the things of God. Well, what shakes us out of our sleep? Well, the Bible says it's the rapture. And not just the event of the rapture, it's watching for the rapture, watching for His coming. We know that Jesus is coming and we begin to look for His coming, it shakes us out of our slumber. Leonard Ravenhill, who, if you've never read any of his books, I would commend them to you. In fact, just go to Amazon and order any any of his books, any of them. I think one of them is called Why Revival Terries. He's probably known for that more than any of them, but they're all good. And, and here's why they're good. He's a very pungent writer. And you, you'll read a paragraph, you'll read a couple of sentences, and he will just pin you down. He's like Tozer a little bit. But you need to read after him. Here's, here's, what, here's what Ravenhill said. He said, today's church wants to be raptured from responsibility. We talk about the rapture, we just want to be raptured from duty. We will be raptured from burdens. We will be raptured from problems. And there is an element from that. The Bible does talk about rest. We'll have, we'll have uh, responsibilities in heaven. But God talks about no more pain, no more sorrow. And I've told you this, I guess, several times now. But the rapture is more about our disappearance, but it's about Christ's appearance. And we're all caught up. Well, I'll, I'll be d- disappeared from all of these things. But we are going to give an account to Jesus for the way that we have lived and what we have done with the resources that he has given to us. Yesterday I was reading about the gift of time and what God had given to us. It's a very precious gift. And I think even more I was thinking about it because uh, Aubrey turned 20 yesterday. And I was thinking about uh, just my relationship with her and things we had done. And how fast those years had gone. And God, God gives you a certain amount of time. And you need, to, you need to wake up to that time. Not just in your relationships. But also in your responsibilities to God. In the Bible, the, the place that tells us most about the rapture in terms of what's going to happen... Is in First Thessalonians chapter four. I don't want you to turn there yet. I want to show you something else first. First 
One of the reasons that God had written 2 Thessalonians, in fact, turn to two or three pages over to your right to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. But he wrote 2 Thessalonians because a letter had been circulating as coming from, from Paul to the church at Thessalonica. And he had not written that letter. And what the letter said was, Jesus has already come. And you guys are in the middle of the tribulation period. And the people had become confused. They were troubled. And they began to wonder, what about our loved ones that have already died? Are we going to see them again? Uh, will, Will we know them in heaven? Are we going to... What's going to happen? Are we raptured? They were very, very confused because someone had written a letter and they put Paul's name on it. And Paul even said, I'm going to show you in a moment. He said, whoever did that was demon-possessed. To imitate God and mimic the Word of God and to confuse you. This false teacher was filled with with the spirit of the enemy. Now, look at 2 Thessalonians, if you would, chapter 2, and notice in verse 1, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 1. And what, Look what he says here. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together unto Him. And he's talking about when Jesus comes, when the rapture comes. What's interesting, I looked that word up, gathering. It's only used one other time in Hebrews chapter 10. When it says, brethren, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. That's talking about the local church when we gather together. And here it's talking about the rapture when we gather together unto him. You see, we gather together here now, but one day Jesus is coming and we'll gather in the sky. I'll show you that maybe next week. We'll gather in the sky and meet one another and then be on home to heaven. By the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind. The word shaken means to waver, to be disturbed. They were greatly troubled. The word trouble means frightened. They were shaken in mind. They were troubled. Now look at this. Neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter asked from us. As this letter asked from us. He said, I didn't write this. Whoever wrote this, it was from small s, a spirit that gave you a word that wasn't from God. It was from the enemy. As that the day of Christ is a hand. And so he had already given them that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And so we want to, to look at that this morning in 1 Thessalonians 4. Look at it with me and let's read the passage. And then I want to give you some, hang some things on thoughts with that. 1 Thessalonians 4.13. Blessed verses. 1 Thessalonians 4.13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren... Concerning them which are asleep. The word asleep there is used of the body sleep. There's no such thing as soul sleep. One day the soul and body, the body will be resurrected and united with the soul. You go into a cemetery where your loved ones, your friends are, and their bodies are resting. One day they'll be resurrected. Concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. 
For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus. See, they're sleeping in Jesus. They've trusted Christ. Will God bring with him? For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them or precede them which are asleep. There's an order to the rapture. We're going to talk about that. I'm not going to get into it this morning because of time. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together. Caught up, those two words is where we get the word rapture. It's not used in the Bible, but caught up means to seize. It's a, a translation of, of this body uh, to another body, a better body, an immortal body, caught up, and will be caught up together with them, that is, those that are dead in Christ, the living and dead, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. At the rapture, His feet will not touch the earth. You see, we'll meet Him in the air, and then the judgment seat will happen, and then the marriage supper of the Lamb for seven years will be in heaven. And God's judgment is poured out on this earth called the tribulation period. At the end of the tribulation period, we will come back with the Lord, all of his people, and his feet will touch the earth on the Mount of Olives. And then we will rule and reign with him for 1,000 years. It's called the, uh, the millennium, which means thousand. And um, you, you will... Rule with him, you will be giving, given a section of the earth to rule contingent upon your faithfulness with the resources God has given to you, your time, your talent, your treasure, and uh, what you have done with those things. And that's based upon the judgment seat. To meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Wonderful, wonderful words. Now, there's three questions that I want to answer from this passage. We're not going to get into all of this this morning, but just to let you know where we're headed. Number one, who will be in the rapture? I'm going to look at that this morning. Number two, what will happen at the rapture? We're just going to look at that a little bit, a little bit this morning. And then number three, what are the implications of the rapture? Those three things. So let's look at uh, the first question. Who will be in the rapture? Who will be in the rapture? Now this is, this is important because not everybody is going to be in the rapture. Every Christian will be in the rapture. Some people believe carnal Christians will not be in the rapture. People that aren't living for God and they're, they're away from God. Every blood-bought child of God will be in the rapture. Some people will be ashamed, 1 John 2.28 there's an abundant interest, I'm sorry, entrance into the kingdom of God, and some will be ashamed because of the way that they are living. Now, what are the qualifications? Well, notice in verse 14, here it is simply. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. That's a qualification. 
If you believe that Jesus died and rose again, that is the gospel message. Now, if you don't believe that, if you rejected that message, you're not going in the rapture. That's just black and white. You're going to miss the rapture. You're going in the tribulation period. And that is the time of God's unmitigated judgment. When he's going to pour his wrath upon this earth. And I'm going to spend just a little bit of time on that in the coming weeks. But only God's people are going to be raptured. Lost people will not be raptured. Are you here this morning? Have you ever been saved? Have you been thinking about it? Do you struggle with it? Maybe late at night you say, boy, I I hope Jesus doesn't come because I'm not ready. Well, he could come before this service is over. Pastor, are you trying to scare me? Well, maybe I'm not trying to scare you, but it is a scary thought, isn't it? You need to get ready. You need to be prepared. Wake up. Don't be indifferent to this. Be sober, the Bible says. Watch. And if you're here and you're a Christian and you know you're saved, but you've been messing around with the world, you're not clean with God, 1 John 2.28 says that when Christ comes, some will be ashamed. And it's not just they'll be caught doing some things they shouldn't do. They'll be ashamed because of their track record. They've been living in the land of Nod as such. They have no discernment. They'll have few rewards, if any. Only those that are saved will be raptured. We don't know when that day is. I, I think it'll be soon. On that day, God's people will be taken in a, in a microsecond. I'll talk to you maybe about that in a moment. Every Christian that is here will be taken and their clothes will be left in a heap. Just in the moment, in a twinkling of an eye, the Bible says. And your clothes will be left behind. People that have been cooking in restaurants and in homes will disappear. They'll be gone. Some people will that are cooking, I think, naturally fires will be produced because of untended things that they're they're working on. Truck drivers and other drivers on interstates that are driving vehicles in a moment in a twinkling of an eye, they'll be gone. Their vehicles will crash into other vehicles. Not only will interstates be clogged, that's the minimum, but there will be hundreds of thousands of people, if not millions of people, killed just, just from that one thing. And the people that are killed are lost people. These are not Christians because the Christians went up into the rapture. Airplane pilots, both in, in small planes and in large planes, will, will disappear in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. And people that are on those flights and will die when they crash and then wherever they crash in populated areas. Have you thought about these things? A lady is in a park walking along holding her child. In the moment, in a twinkling of an eye, the baby's gone like that. And she's left holding a diaper and a, and a little blanket. The baby's gone. And that happens 
in hundreds of millions of places all over the world. All of those precious children. And moms and dads get the report and they rush to the daycare centers. And their little children and their little toddlers are gone. And panic begins to spread throughout all over the world. Law enforcement is depleted by people, military too, that have trusted Jesus as their Savior. And they're gone. The church houses all over the place, whether they're conservative or they're liberal, they will be filled. And now the tribulation begins and there's a time of fear, there's a time of chaos like never before. But it will only be temporary. Because a man called the Antichrist, who is Satan incarnate, he may be alive today, perhaps he is, probably is in my opinion. And he will bring an artificial peace to the earth. He'll solve the economic problems. He'll bring everybody together. He'll start a one world church, a one world government. And he will explain the rapture. Some have posited that it will be some we don't know. But they say he will say something like, well, you have seen these studies on the UFOs and they have come down and taken our children and taken these these reckless people, religious people, and have freed us of these people that were fundamentalists and causing us to all this trouble. And it will be explained away somehow. It won't explain away the hurt of these people. But it's a time of separation. It's a time of, of sadness. It's a time of judgment. Who will be in the rapture? God's people. And only God's people. And I ask you this morning, are you ready? Are you ready for the rapture? Because Jesus, listen, Jesus is not coming for moral people. He's not coming for religious people. He's not coming for Baptist people or Presbyterians or Church of Christ or Church of God or Methodists. Jesus is coming for people that are his own that have come to the cross and bowed their knee. And put their faith and trust in Him and Him alone. In fact, people that are moralizers and just try to keep the Ten Commandments but have never trusted Christ. They will not be in the rapture. Someone said, and I agree with them, good people don't go to heaven. Saved people go to heaven. Do you want to go to heaven? Do you want to miss a tribulation? Do you want to, to go into the rapture? Then you've got to meet the qualifications. It's in the Bible. Look at it right there. 1 Thessalonians 4.14 For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again. It's the simplicity of the gospel. When Jesus died on the cross, it wasn't just something so you could wear on a necklace. It wasn't just something so you could give the sign of the cross. It's not just some symbolism. It's not just a piece of jewelry. When Jesus hung on the cross and he rose again from the dead... He conquered death, hell, and the grave. So we don't need to be afraid of those things. He said there in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, he said, We don't sorrow as those that have no hope. But when he comes, he's coming as a conquering king. And he's already won the victory. If you're here this morning, you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior. Would you trust him? 
you're not right with God and you're, and you're playing with sin, would you come clean with God? I don't want you to be ashamed. I want you to be looking forward to meeting Jesus. Maybe you're a church member. Maybe you've been struggling with this for a long time. And you've never genuinely trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Do it today. The Bible says in Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, For the wages of sin is death. A wage is something you get for something you do. The penalty for sin is death. Because we have sinned, the result is death. You must admit that you are a sinner. Have you ever done that? It's not your mama's fault. It's not your daddy's fault. It's not the youth group's fault. It's not the church's fault that you left one time because the pastor messed up or something. You must admit that you have sinned. For the wages of sin is death. You're going to die because of sin. Physical death. There's spiritual death. Eternal death without God. Separation without God. I like the next word in the verse, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He wants to save you. He wants to take you to heaven. But it's a gift. You can't earn it. Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, God commended His love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, that Christ died for us. Notice that Christ died. What was the wage for sin? It was death. What did Jesus do? He died. He paid the penalty. He took your wage for you. He paid what you owed. And when you rest in that, when you accept what Jesus did for you, and you embrace that, and you come to Him in repentance and sorrow and say, God, I I am sorry. I own my sin. I'm sorry for that. And ask Him to cleanse you and to forgive you. Take you to heaven. Romans 10, 9 and 10. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. What does that mean? That means that you agree with God. That Jesus is the Lord. That he's the son of God. Do you believe that Jesus is who he said he is? That he's not just a man. That he is God. That he's deity. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. And shalt believe in thine heart. At the very core of your being. Not just give mental assent. Thou shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. That that he died for you and he rose again. The Bible says thou shalt be saved. It's a promise of God. You say, Rick, that's too simple. God made it simple. He did the hard part and he made it simple for us. He wants us to come home. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. But with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. You see, righteousness is accrued to my account. Because of my faith. And my faith comes from the heart. It's not something I do. The only righteous thing a man can do is believe. We submit to God's righteousness. With my mouth, confession is made of the salvation. I read about a man that was working on a building project at his home. And he, he needed some, a specific kind of nail. And uh, he went around the house. He said, I thought I'd put them here. And, and there he spied the box, but someone had put some wood shavings in it. And it was all filled up, and he started fishing around, and he got aggravated with it. It was going to take him a while. He had to dump them out and separate it, and he said, no. And he got an idea, and he went and he, he got a magnet. 
And he, he put it over the, the box there as he passed it over to the box. All of the nails leapt up to the magnet and they left the shavings. The wood shavings. The wood shavings stayed behind, but the nails came to the magnet. Do you know why? Because they shared the same nature. If you have the same nature when Jesus comes, because the Holy Spirit of God lives in you, you're, you're going to be with Him. If you can let me put it this way, if you're just wood shavings, but you don't have His nature, you're going to stay behind. You're not going to heaven. You're not going up in the rapture. You're going to stay behind in what is called the tribulation period. The tribulation period is when God begins to pour out His wrath upon the earth. You may be saying, well, I think I'll take my chances. I'll just trust God. After the, the rapture happens and when Jesus comes, and I'll just trust Jesus as my Savior after that. I'll just take my chance. I've had people tell me that. Okay, you, you can do that. Then I'm willing to take a chance. You know what the Bible teaches? That if you reject Christ now, the Bible says that after Jesus comes that you're doomed. Listen carefully. If you have heard a clear presentation of the gospel, you see, there will be people saved in the tribulation period. 144,000 people from, from the Jewish nation, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes, will go out as evangelists and they will preach the gospel and multitudes will be saved. But these will be people that have never heard a clear presentation of the gospel. And in this room, I can't think of anybody, in fact, in the last 10 minutes, that would dismiss you because you have heard the gospel very clearly and very plainly. And if you do not accept it, you reject it. You see, saying no is a decision. That's a, that's a decision. And if you reject the gospel, you, you are doomed let me put it this way. The Bible says you're damned. There's no hope. You say, preacher, does the Bible really say that? Yes, it does. If you have your Bible open there, and it's on the screen if you don't have it. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, notice in verse 9. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, notice in verse 9. Now this speaks about the Antichrist and his work, but look at this. Even him... And this is the Antichrist. This is in, in the tribulation period, in the middle of the tribulation period. Even him, the Antichrist, whose coming is after the working of Satan, with all power and signs, these are miracles, and lying wonders. A wonder is a miracle. You see, he will be able to work miracles. Satan did that. Remember when Moses went in before Pharaoh and he went in with uh, Aaron, and God enabled them to perform a miracle. And then the false prophets came in, and Satan empowered them, and they performed a miracle. But I want you to notice how what, it, what their miracle is described as a lying miracle, a lying wonder. Why is that? And you'll see this in a moment, because Satan is lying to these people. He's perpetuating a lie. 
And these miracles only substantiate the lie that he is selling. And so the people buy into the lie. Now, when I get to the tribulation, I'm going to talk to you about this more. This is happening right now. And it's been happening, not just in this season. It's been happening for a long time. The lie is already at work, not just in the tribulation period. It's just going to ramp up big time. Lying wonders, and with all, here's the enemy, with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish. So he's doing this unrighteous work, deceiving people because they're lost, because they believe the lie. Because, look at this church, because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. You see, Christians love truth. They're lovers of truth. They love the scriptures. They love Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Christians love truth. God is truth. And when you reject the truth, you have heard the truth this morning. This pulpit preaches truth because we preach the Bible. I don't know how many times I've said it this morning, but I've said it a bunch. The Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says. And here are these people in the tribulation period. The Bible says they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. Now pay attention to this. And for this cause, that is because they receive not the truth, God shall send them strong delusion. You see that? God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. Now they went in believing the lie. That's why they rejected God. They believed that the world and the flesh and the devil was better than God. They believed that lie. But now that lie is accentuated because it is. they are strongly deluded. There is a strong delusion but it's sent by God and they cannot believe. Are you listening? They, they are, have no interest in receiving Christ. If you, listen, if you have that much of a desire to be saved, it's not much, but it's that much, you ought to flee to the cross. Because you're not going to have that much after Jesus comes. It's going to be gone. God shall send them a strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but rather they had pleasure in unrighteousness. Your chance to be saved is now. Your chance to get right is now. You've heard the gospel. Maybe you're a church member. Maybe you're a good person, but you've never been saved. Don't put this off. I Listen, I, I said a while ago that churches are going to be filled. I was thinking about this a couple of weeks ago when I was putting this together. Churches will be filled. You know what else is going to happen? You see these offices over here? These offices are going to be ransacked. But they're not people looking for money. I've never thought about this until a couple of weeks ago. They're not going to be people looking for money. This troubles me. There are going to be people that are members of this church that are lost. Going through my books and my files and Tim and Daniel's books and files. Looking for something 
for some hope and a sermon and a word about what happened. Because we're going to be gone. It's going to be a serious time, but there will be no desire after it's gone. And though you're looking and though you can't connect, the Holy Spirit is gone. The Bible says in 2 Thessalonians 2, the restrainer is gone. He's gone. There is no conviction of sin except for those that have heard a clear presentation of the gospel. Are you ready to meet Christ? Because He is coming. I read a story about a, a gardener that worked for a very wealthy man in Italy. And he had a, a palace, a very beautiful palace, castle, and just incredibly uh, groomed uh, grounds and a beautiful garden. One day a man came to visit the uh, castle there in Italy. And he was just fascinated by how beautiful the place was. And so the gardener took him on a tour. And then he offered to take him to lunch, and he did there inside of the facility. And as they were having lunch, they began to talk. And so the guests asked him, he asked the man that maintained the property, especially the gardens. He said, this is such a beautiful place, these gardens, I've never seen anything like this. He said, by the way, when was the last time the owner was here? And the gardener said, oh, it was about 10 years ago. And the guest replied, he said, well, why do you keep the gardens in such an immaculate condition? And the gardener said, because I'm expecting him to return. And the guest said, well, is he, is he coming back next week? And the gardener said, well... I don't know when he's coming back, but I'm expecting him today. And when you expect Jesus to come today, it affects everything you do. The way you talk, the way you walk, your thought life, your attitudes, the way you live in the home, the way you witness. Is your mom saved? Is your daddy saved? Are your children saved? Is your brother saved? Your sister? Is your best friend saved? One day Jesus is coming. Well, one day I'm going to get around to it. There's a song that was written years ago. It's a good song. But it's a very sober song. It's about the rapture and it's called One Day Too Late. It's one day you're going to wait one day too late. I want you to bow your heads with me if you would. I appreciate your good attention.